0: Welcome to the Pivoting Out of Education podcast, where hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Stutter will share their stories of folks who have left campus-based positions in education and K through 12 to leverage their skills in other contexts. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person holds 12 jobs between the ages of 18 and 50. Educators, like Jamie and Tom, often enter their careers thinking they will stay in education forever, perhaps because they're trained to think that way, or perhaps it is hard to see other pathways. Both of your hosts pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they want to give back and support others trying to do the same. Thanks for listening in, and enjoy today's episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast.
1: Hello, welcome to the Pivoting Out of Edu podcast. My name is Tom Studdert,
2: and I'm Jamie Hoffman.
1: And we are very excited today to welcome Demario Bell to our show. Uh, Demario, I am more than excited to welcome you and to have the opportunity to chat with you today. Par- partly because we have a little bit—not a lot, but a little bit of a shared background—having both worked for a time period uh, in university advancement, which I think is going to be a really unique. Uh, conversation for us to have and something also for our our listeners. I think our podcast is really speaking to folks in in very standard uh, student affairs roles. Yeah. And so I'm really excited to hear what somebody who is not or who does not have a background in student affairs, but worked with students yeah. uh, at, at a university. So welcome to the show, Demario.
3: Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Jamie. So happy to be here to talk about pivoting out of EDU. Great.
1: Well, you know, um, let's get started. Let's just jump right into it. So talk to us a little bit about your background in education.
3: Yeah, I thank you for the question, Tom. So I started off in higher ed as an undergraduate student and I had no idea that there was a world that existed outside of the classroom. I just thought that there were just faculty who run who ran the entire campus. Um, but I, I went to undergrad at Grand Valley State University, which is a regional college in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is on the west side of the state. And around my junior year, I had this inflection moment where I was like, okay, DeMario, you're gonna be graduating in the next couple of years. What do you wanna do with your life? And at that time I was majoring in, in English and I said, what do I do with this degree? And um, really quickly, someone had come into the bookstore, I was working at the bookstore at the time, and he worked in the provost office. And I said, wow, that's, I bet that's great working in the provost office. And Long story short, I ended up getting an internship in the Office of University Development um, that was responsible for the fundraising arm and alumni alumni relations arm of the university. And I did prospect research and I didn't know what prospect research was at the time, but I knew what prospect meant and I knew what research meant as individual words and I put them together and I said, Oh, this is prospect research. And I did prospect research, which is, you know, a lot of uh, qualitative and quantitative analysis over prospecting, but identifying major donors. And I was in that role for two years as an intern, had the best time of my life. And I said, I want to continue doing development, because I love research, I love connecting with alumni, and I love the university setting. And after after that, I found my way at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, where I worked at the Alumni Association for two years. I was on the development team, um, annual giving and membership. And I was in that room for about two years and said, OK, I'm burnt out now. Advancement has really burnt me out. And at this point where I wanted to move to an academic unit and find my way at the College of Literature, Science, and the Arts at the University of Michigan, which is the largest college. And I first started off as managing the front desk. And so I took a step back just to recollect myself. And then I spent my final two years as the mentorship program manager. So building out a large-scale mentorship program for the entire college. Best time of my life. Best time of my life.
1: That is fascinating, I, I love hearing about folks who made their way into advancement. I personally worked in the Alumni Association at my alma mater, which was Arizona State University. And I did the student relations and I also had university traditions. I got to plan things like homecoming, uh, which I felt like was just an extension really of my student experience. It was you know sort of doing what I had loved as an undergraduate student. And so yeah. I love that you have that in your background, but I'm curious because you, know, you shared with us that you are a man of faith. And yeah. I want to know, you know, what made you pivot out of higher education? You know, you'd spent some time in 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 two different divisions, in advancement and in and in the academic affairs side of the university. What 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 led you to pivot? What was the what was the sort of instinct that said it's it's time for me to think some about something different?
3: Yeah, I appreciate the question, Tom. So I spent four years at the University of Michigan. And when I started back in fall of 2016, I set a goal to at my five year mark reflect on what, you know, do I want to continue at the university or move on? But I hit that inflection point time at around January of 2020. So right before the, before the pandemic hit. And I had been the mentorship program manager by that point for a year. And within a year, I had accomplished so much. And not only in the role, but just accomplished a lot as as an employee of the university. At that point, I was at U of M for by, by three years. And as I was doing an audit of my experiences with my role, with alumni, with students, with other campus partners, it had really been the time of my life. And I hit this inflection point at, you know, around January 2020 and said to Mario, what does the next version of yourself look like? What impact are you looking to have beyond Ann Arbor, beyond the University of Michigan? And as mentioned, I'm a man of faith, and it was really my faith that gave me a whisper in my ear. I'm going to be honest and said to Mario, step out on faith. And it was very scary because most of my early career had been in higher ed. And so I felt that I couldn't do anything beyond higher ed. And it was comfortable. I had a a wonderful job that paid well, amazing benefits. It was in a great college town. I had friends who were like family. So there was really no real reason to leave beyond. I had given the university all that I could give. And I felt simply put that they were not gonna get any more out of me. And I was not gonna get any more out of them. And I believe in if you're thinking about pivoting, this is just my personal philosophy, leave on your mountaintop, leave on your terms, leave because you never know when you might have to go back, if you might have to go back. And so for me, I, I, was, I was leaving on my mountaintop. I, I had some amazing friends, some amazing alums that I worked with, relationships with students, but personally and professionally, I felt that I had succeeded the goals that I had set out for myself. And I remember having a conversation with my, my, with my then supervisor. I, I won't share the, 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 the content of that, but the spirit of the conversation was, I've done all that I can do. And let me allow you to find someone who can carry the baton. And that was that moment that I had, um, Tom and Jamie, it was, I had given it a great run. And I was ready to challenge myself and step out on faith. And again, I didn't know what that looked like. And, but I was willing to push myself to explore it.
2: That's awesome. And I totally want to quote the leave on your mountaintop. Because as you were talking, I was actually thinking to myself, what I love about your story is that, you know, there are other folks that we, that we have had on the podcast who, who left because student affairs was problematic for them for one reason or another fitting their lifestyle. And I'm sure like, you know, you probably have things that you maybe wish were different about student affairs, just like with any job. But I love that your emphasis is more on opportunity and moving towards something as opposed to moving away from something. I also want to add that in my job, I have traveled now to probably 25 different universities and university towns. And I didn't expect this to happen, but I thought Ann Arbor, Michigan was like, that's probably my favorite town. And seriously, I loved it. It was so great. I mean, there were some interesting dynamics going on there at the time that I traveled there. Uh, So I'm not sure that of the the culture still of the town and and Mm. such, but it was just a really cool place to be. So I just wanted to give it a shout out to somewhere it sounds like that you really made home for, for quite some time.
3: I don't know that you said that, Jamie. It was. Ann Arbor was home for the past four years of my life. An amazing college town, amazing people. To your point, different vibes depending on where you are as you get further out from the campus. But yeah. if I were ever to live in a college town, it would be Ann Arbor.
1: I absolutely love that uh, quote that uh, that you have. And, and to the point, like I, I want to seal it as well, just like Jamie said, with the uh, leaving while I'm, while you are on your mountaintop. I think, you know, we hear that in a lot of professions, right? Like we hear it from actors, we hear it from sports figures. You know, I, I think of, you know, some of the great sports figures, whether you're, you know, from Boston or not, you know, the Tom Brady's of the world. Are they leaving on, on you know, winning that last Super Bowl or should they have gotten out a little bit early? And I love that you brought that into higher education because, you know, I, didn't, I did not leave higher education because I felt like I was on the mountaintop, but I definitely had that feeling of, I don't know if, what else I can do, what else I can give. And maybe it's time for that next generation to come in behind and to some extent, clean up the messes that I've made. Um, but also to some extent, like take it to the next level, you yes. know? And, and, and I love that, that mentality that you bring and it, it really speaks volumes about who you are as a person and, and, and what you've done. So I, I appreciate that story. And, and I, you know, whether I, quoted or, or embroidered on a, on a pillow, get ready. I'm going to start using that.
3: Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Jane. Right.
2: <laughs> and I know, I mean, I, I also just want to acknowledge that oftentimes when people leave a position, it's more like, let's see if you can find someone that can do it as good as me. So I feel like it's really a sign of a true leader that you acknowledge, you know, that the next person might bring different perspectives. So this yeah. is definitely the uh, Build Up to Mario show, clearly, right now. <laughs> so, but no, props to you um, for yeah. that. And I think um, it'd be great to hear then about what have you done since you left? And I'm sure folks would be interested in learning um, how you found out about the opportunity that you're at now, too.
3: Yeah, thank you, Jamie. So um, building off of my earlier response, when I was deciding to pivot out, and it was true for me and it might be true for a number of the listeners as well, figuring out what's next is really that main blocker, that barrier. Figuring out, okay, I've, I've done higher ed, but how do this translate into other industries and other sectors? And so what was safe for me, uh, and, and I, let me just take a step back, is I've spent most of my life tugging to the shore. So sticking to what's comfortable, sticking to what I know I can do, And when I had this inflection point, it was, Mario, it's don't no longer do what's making you comfortable or what you know is safe. What is it that you really wanna do? Because I had lived at the intersection of got to and don't want to for so long. So how do I get to that intersection where I'm happy, where I feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose and challenging myself? Again, that's a a word that I'm gonna emphasize. I said, I'm curious about the tech industry. I want to know, what can I do in the tech industry? And I was on a planning committee for mentorship and higher education conference, which is a national conference, exclusive conference. And a colleague of mine who works at the University of Georgia here in in Athens, Georgia, uh, actually sent me a job posting um, on LinkedIn. We had had a conversation about me wanting to explore you know, pivot out of higher ed, and, you know, in the tech industry, but I also knew too, I'm um, Jamie and Tom, I also wanted to still have like some type of indirect connection to higher ed. So one foot in and one foot out. And I knew about ed tech, but not really. And it was at my current organization, which is Mentor Collective based out of Boston, Massachusetts. And Mentor Collective, we are a social impact ed tech software as a service organization. So we sell mentorship software and services to higher ed institutions. And... I'll just go ahead and and say it, I'm one of the program program success managers and in my role, I'm responsible for working with a diverse portfolio of higher ed institutions at various scales um, to design and implement scalable mentorship programs for their communities. And so I'm working with private Ivy Leagues to public Ivy Leagues to regional um, universities as well. And, And the common thread through it all, they're all committed to student success. And, and, and serving students at the margins. And so Mentor Collective was um, very compelling in that way. So to go back to my interview process, I've, I've jumped a little bit. I, I applied around July, 2020 and very rigorous interview process. Let me tell you, I thought that the University of Michigan had a very rigorous interview process, but <laughs> Mentor Collective was very, very rigorous. And the, the challenge was they wanted to know, Demario, why do you want to leave this world-class institution to come to an ed, ed tech startup company? And even more, how do we know that you'll be successful making that transition from higher ed to a, in a startup environment? And here I am in the interview. I'm like, oh, I can do it. You know, I, I'm, I'm a go-getter. And so I spent most of my interview articulating my competitive advantage in that way. How does my higher ed skills translate to the mission of this organization? They knew I can do the job, which is why they interviewed me. They wouldn't have interviewed me if they knew I couldn't do the job, but they wanted to know primarily, am I the right person uh, given my background in higher ed? And so I spent most of the interview really articulating how I can deliver if not exceed. And you would think it would be obvious, Mentor Collective, they work with higher ed institutions. You would want someone who's coming from that background but there's so much to a startup than just having experience in, in higher ed. So uh, did I answer the question, Jamie, a little bit more? I feel like I, I I rambled a little bit.
2: No, I think that was great. No, thank you so much. I think you gave folks a good idea of sort of how you found the position and, and what you're doing there currently. So I think the one follow-up I would ask for you to share because you talked about the differences of ed tech. This is kind of, you know, um, off script, and so if you if you would prefer to to think about it, that's fine too. But what would you say for folks that are interested in moving from a campus based position specifically to a startup ed tech? What are things that they should think about that are differences?
3: I would I would say really reflect on what type of organizational culture that you're looking for in terms of structure, agile or unstructured. And what I learned working for a startup company, there's a lot of ambiguity and things move very fast. And if you're someone who needs constant structure and direction, working for a startup company might not be the best fit because things, and and, and, and I thought that it was just hyperbole when folks were telling me that. But when I actually got into ed tech and working for a startup company, things are moving at lightning speed decisions are being made very quickly initiatives are being developed very quickly I I tell folks all the time I'm working on I'm working on several big projects at a time so it's like I have all these glass and rubber balls up in the air and I'm trying to juggle my glass balls to make sure that they don't drop so I would say for those who the the, the hardest the hardest part of the transition is higher ed is comfortable, it's structured, you know what you're dealing with outside of like the politics and the inertia, that's just higher ed, but the pace of the work, the pace of moving things forward and startups is is very fast. And there's a lot of ambiguity and and things tend to be a little unstructured because you're trying to figure things out. And so if you don't wanna be with a company who is in their growing pain stage, it might not be the right time to make that pivot to a startup organization.
1: Damari, I feel like we're kindred spirits. Uh, you know, having, you know, both worked in advancement, having gone to a tech startup company, you know, I, I, folks will remember this from the episode where, where Jamie interviewed me, where I talked about the lightning speed that is a startup, and and I will say, you know, the the company that I'm at now is no longer considered a startup, uh, as we are at 1,800 employees. But when I started, I was number like 130, and we I make decisions on a Monday morning that we implement by Monday at lunch. Yes. And in in higher education, we would make decisions on a Monday morning, and it would be Monday morning two years from then when we would actually get to implementing it because. Somewhat, you know, bureaucratic organization and, and, and as you said, you know, sort of structured and comfortable, but much more difficult to move at the pace that 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 uh, we want people to move at. So really appreciate the story there. I, I want to do a quick follow up, you know, yeah. when when you talk about having worked in advancement and you talked about working in the provost's office and having been an undergraduate student you know, we we garner all these different skills, right? We do a little bit of project management, we do a little bit of documentation, we do a little bit of uh, student advisement, we do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And the hard part is it becomes difficult to then transfer those skills, or at least talk about how we're gonna transfer those skills. So I'm curious how you took those skills and, and used them in your interview to actually get the position that you are in now uh, and, and, and allow them to see you as somebody that could be could, could be successful in that role?
3: Yeah, Tom, thank you. That's a great question and there's a lot to that <laughs> and I'm going to try to hit that very quickly and not ramble. I want to go back to something else that you mentioned as well about higher ed and inertia and, and uh, working on something Monday morning, and then two years later, you're implemented. I tell people, I think sometimes it can be too democratized where it gets in its own way, which is why things tend to move a little bit slower. But to, to come to your, your question about how did I translate my skills, I, I might be giving away my secret sauce, but I'll, I'll give it away. <laughs> What I did was I looked at, and it's, 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 for me, it seems simple. What I did was I looked at, I did an audit of all that I had done and I, I highlighted. I, I So for Mentor Collective, what I did was I, I had the job posting in front of me. I printed it out. I still print out things because I love to physically be able to touch things. And then I looked at my resume.
2: That's not, that's not an ed tech <laughs> thing though, DeMar, you no, know, I'm I work with lots of people that print stuff out. I just, myself, I'm like, what is this paper? I'm not going to be able to keep this. I do not. It's going to get lost, just so you
1: know. <laughs> when I first when I first started at my company, I still had files in a drawer. Wow. I would print everything off, and people laughed at me because here I'm working at a tech firm, and they're like, why are you wasting all this <laughs> oh, paper? And I was like, mm. I, I still have that mentality that everything has to be something I hold on to. <laughs>
3: Thank you for watching. No. me. I, I, I'm, I, I will graduate at some point to that, right? I, I still need the physical paper, but I, I posted, I printed the job posting and I had my resume in front of me where it was, I had already updated my resume. And I looked at what were the important parts of the position and the important parts of what was important for the organization. And I referenced back at my resume to see which of my experiences tie back to particular parts of the job posting. But I also too, I took a moment to honestly just reflect on all the experiences that I've had, not just professionally, but just, you know, my volunteerism, hobbies that I've done, and 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 try to translate that um, as well. So and and again, so so not to ramble, I, I really just and, and folks might already be doing this, but just looking at what is the organ, what does the organization want? What are they looking for, and what do I bring to the table? And so, in terms of project management, I, I and I feel like in fundraising, it is project management when you're trying to move people along the donor life cycle. That's project management. It's, I mean, you're not, it's not a project, but you're trying to move people along a funnel. But I managed the mentorship program from scratch. There was a lot of moving parts to developing a mentorship program with a software that that we use to scale it. I was working with teams of people. So I was looking at all those experiences. I managed a team of folk. So I, so I, so I, I have supervisory skills, program development, project management. But I think above all of those skills, organizations are looking for folks who have emotional intelligence. Are you able to work across teams? Are you able to understand your end users and, and, and be malleable and communicate in ways that will drive the work forward? So while doing an audit of all these experiences that I've had, you know, be it undergrad and, and be it professional, I said to Mario, who are you and what do you bring that make those pieces special? It's not really important that I know how to program manage anybody. I think many people can, can manage a program but it was, what, is, what was it about me that made the program management effective? And it was because I knew what our North Star was and I could coach and mentor the folks who were working with me to get us along that North Star. So it was also tying into what are some of those, what are some of those soft skills, which I don't want like to say soft skills, but those other important skills that made the technical pieces successful and effective.
1: DeMario, I, I love what you've just shared, and and particularly, I love that you talked about not calling them soft skills. I sat on a panel about two years ago in the state of Washington, where somebody was asking about the quote-unquote soft skills, and I said they're the hardest skills to learn, uh, because it, it, you know communication and critical thinking and some of those things are, are so difficult to, to, to sort of impart on people. I can teach anybody how to sort of manage an event, but I can't teach them how to critically think about how our end users on our platform or thinking about sort of their next step. And I, I think what you just shared there is, is so right on in terms of, you know, that transferability of what we do and, and how we're, we're selling ourselves into the, the next step. And to some extent, how many of us are short selling ourselves because we've sort of said we know X and really X can impact Y and N can impact Z. Uh, and we forget how to do that. So I really appreciate that story. And I appreciate that you were willing to share that with us. And again, I just, you and I are kindred spirits. And one day I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to demand that we work together in something.
3: I feel that same. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you <so. laughs> Well, I mean, I, I am in
2: the next question, but I'm clearly not in the kindred spirit group,
3: but hopefully I can
2: still, oh, I'm part of it too. Okay, good. This, okay,
3: this good. is wonderful. I'm loving it.
2: <laughs> this is, no, it's great. I wanted to highlight something though, that you did that I have seen folks not do, which is that, I mean, this may be a given because we're trained to do it in higher ed, but for whatever reason, I see hundreds of applications where people are submitting their very generic student affairs cover letter and resume. And I think it's possibly because in my position, We work adjacent to higher ed and therefore people see it's comparable. So I should just, you know, submit it. But the problem is I'm, as a hiring manager, wondering exactly what you described. You tell me how your experiences compare and prepare you to this role in particular. And why ed tech? You know, like why? And I, I sadly, when people don't do that, they don't differentiate their application so the fact that you sat down and did an audit another great way of thinking about it because it can all gives us a visual a visual kind of example of what you did but yeah the fact that you did that and you have to put the work in especially if you want to leave a campus based position that People don't know what student affairs is a lot of the time, or student life. I mean, you know those sorts of things. The title doesn't always know, doesn't always make sense. I mean, obviously, Mentor Collective also is adjacent to university, so they would get some of those things. But, but yeah, it sounds like you really differentiated yourself, hence why you're in the role, which is amazing. And along those lines, you have talked a little bit already about what you've really enjoyed about uh, your time um, outside of a campus-based position, but are there other things you'd like to share with folks that you've really enjoyed that they can think about? As well as, on the other hand, um, what are the things that you miss? Which I'm, I'm guessing we've talked a little bit about that as well since we shared our love for Ann Arbor.
3: Yeah. Uh, Jamie, you, you mentioned uh, some really great points. And let me just follow up and I'll get to your your, your uh, to my answer. I was I was in a very competitive marketplace around July. We were dealing with a pandemic. Folks were being laid off. And there were a ton of people, like I mentioned earlier, who had program management skills, project management skills, and who had experience at us other startup companies or ed tech. So I had to sell them on like why Demario? Me as an individual was the choice out of the, and there were, I, I was in a very competitive pool of folks. It was thousands of folks who applied for the position. And I said, I can do this, but let me show them DeMario. Because if they get to know DeMario during this interview process, they'll love him. And so now that I have the job, what I, what I love most, let me say this, Jamie, about the work is I'm gaining new skills in my toolkit and I'm learning how to make quick decisions. And I was just telling someone, they always said, DeMario, you know, I have a really hard time making, you know, quick decisions. And I, I used to struggle with that as well. I said, but when things are moving fast and at a lightning speed, you have to make the most appropriate or what you think is the best decision at that moment. And you can iterate on it later because things are moving fast. And so I had to learn how to cognitively shift how I thought, because I was still thinking as a higher ed professional. And while I didn't want to demean that, but I couldn't forefront that in all of my decision-making. I had to be able to think like a, a ed tech leader and think like a startup leader as well, while also using my higher-end experience to influence some of the decision-making, but I couldn't always lead with that. I, I love learning from my, my peers. I, 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 I just told this to one of my co-founders, um, a mentor collective. It's literally, you know Jamie and Tom, like being in an honor, honors class with all AP students. Everyone is brilliant. Yeah. and everyone is bringing their A game on a daily basis. And no one is competing with one another. That's what I love about startup. You're all in it together. You're all trying to make this work because if the org succeeds, you succeed. And I, I love that about you know in and, and, and this space and not even connecting internally, but connecting with others externally. Like you and Tom, this is a perfect example, all this being in, in the startup space. What I do miss, and let me, now that I've talked about what I love about being in the startup, what I miss about higher ed and particularly the University of Michigan is football in the fall. Anyone who is uh, who's familiar with Michigan knows that you know, for, for any you know, public research, you know, flagship, you know, school, sports is a big part of campus life.
1: Now, DeMario, I'm from the Pac-12, U- University of Michigan football. We're going to have to have words after
3: this. <laughs> well, I gonna tell you this. Some of my folks might beat me up for saying this, Tom, but I'm a little disappointed in the football team right <laughs> now. I am cheering on our basketball teams, both men and women, as they have moved through the basketball tournament so go blue to all of my Wolverine <laughs> fans listening.
1: Well, we'll, we'll, we'll forgive the go blue because we're kindred spirits.
3: <laughs> Thank you Tom I appreciate that but I, I miss being on a college campus I miss being in Ann Arbor there is and 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 two of you can this resonates with you as well there's something to be said about being on a college campus just yep. it's, it's a it's a type of a spirit it's something It it's just it's it's just, it only happens there. And on a, on a bad day, you can step out on campus and just see the smiles, feel the energy just feel all of that, and it can just really just change your mood. And so I miss that being able just to step out on campus, and and, and selfishly also still feel like I was one of the undergraduate or graduate students as well. So. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, I mean Tom and I feel like that too. Anytime we go to a co- college campus, still right?
1: Yes, you know, <laughs> several years post masters and doctoral degrees, I I for sure go onto a college campus, and I, immediately I'm sure I'll I'm a college freshman.
3: <laughs> yeah, totally. Me, me too. Me too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Anything else that I should that I should share with listeners that you think is important, uh, you know, during our time?
1: Well, you know, I'm I'm curious. You know, sort of the the next steps for you. You uh-huh. know, your 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 work history and your background so far. You know, have gotten you to where you are. And you know, you know, full transparency to our listeners. This is my first time meeting Demario, and uh, you know, I'm just. I'm blown away by your enthusiasm, not just for what you do, but sort of for life in general, you just come across as as just so genuine and and so excited to do what you're doing. And so I'm curious, you know, what's next for DeMario? Um, And by the way, I love that you refer to yourself in the third person because I do that as well. Um, You know, I'm curious what's next for DeMario and then maybe close it out with, you know, what's your final piece of advice for folks who are looking to make that pivot out of education and are, are, are toying around with the idea right now.
3: Thank you, Tom, and thank you, Jamie. I To our listeners, I promise you, this is the first time all three of us, have, well, I've met the two of them and I love them. They're amazing, as you can tell through our conversation. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I would say, Tom, as a man of faith, I'm going to go where I'm guided. And when 2021 happened, I told folks, this is the year of possibilities. So be open. And I am not one of those individuals who go at every opportunity that, that comes my way, but I assess it to make sure that it's the, per- the right opportunity at the right time of my life. Because I tell people, do not chase provision, but chase your purpose. Because if you go off with of your purpose, the provision will follow. And I've made mistakes. I haven't gotten it all right. I don't want to have our listeners thinking that I, I make all the right decisions. I, I mean, I tell people you haven't lived life if you haven't struggled. And, you, you, and, and making some, some wrong decisions have gotten me to a point where I can be more introspective and, and, and provide feedback now. But Tom and Jamie, I'm open to whatever my faith will have me go next. And I want to be open to that. I would love to be honest with you. I, I would love to be, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna tether myself to a position, but I would love to be on a senior leadership team of a, a startup company. I, I really, I think that's the next challenge for me and, and growing myself is, cause I'm used to being an in, uh, you know individual contributor. I like being an individual contributor. I You know, when I was, was managing a team, I felt like most of my time was coaching and mentoring them. And then by four o'clock it was, I could finally get to my work. But I know in order to like scale my impact, I'm gonna to have to challenge myself to you know, be on a leadership team and or um, manage a team of folks. But I'm open to possibilities and, and to close this up, I would say my most singular piece of advice that I give myself every morning, that I would give to our listeners who are thinking about transitioning out of or pivoting out of higher education is bet on yourself. Because in this marketplace, no one else is going to bet on you, no one else is going to advocate for you in a way that you know you need to be advocated for. And I learned that both the hard and good way. And so when I was out in this marketplace looking for a new job, I said, "Demar, you'll bet on yourself and change yourself. Talk about yourself. And once you do that, you'll stand in the gap and distinguish yourself among the many other people who are out here in this marketplace as well." So for anyone who's looking to make that transition know that in that season of your life that's what you really want to do and if that's what is calling on you to do is to step out just bet on yourself and let nature take its course
1: demario so many nuggets of wisdom that you've provided to us and to our listeners uh you know i've i've been doing this this career thing now for 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 just a few years and you know i I love the energy that you bring and the 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 words of wisdom that you've brought whether it's you know uh i've 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 made it to the mountaintop and i you know i want to leave out leave on top or you know one of the quotes that you just said in the last statement with chasing your purpose I, i don't think that there's anything that can really sum up you know what's what's important for for us as individuals more than chasing our purpose You know chasing our purpose chasing our passion uh what we want to do what we want to get out of life is so important and you're right betting on yourself you know you are your best and strongest advocate, and there's nobody on the planet that's going to do that better for yourself than you than you do and so i really appreciate the opportunity to get the get the chance to know you and to get the chance to chat with you write it down that one day we're going to have the opportunity to work together whether it be a startup somewhere. Um,
3: at, All three
2: like, of us are just a Mario because right now I just feel like I'm a third wheel over here.
3: <laughs> you know, we, I feel like we are like a dream team here. We need to. There like, you go. We need to like you know cook up something because I'm feeling the energy and the synergy right now. Demario, when you're
1: an executive leader in a startup, just remember you know the little people like Tom and Jamie who. who, who <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Well, again, DeMario, thank you so much for being a part of our Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. On behalf of your host, Jamie Hoffman, I'm Tom Studder, and we look forward to hearing more stories like this in the near future. So make sure that you're downloading
0: our next episode, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you all. As always, thank you to our guests for joining us. Additionally, special thanks to our sound editor, John Alexander. We spend one-third of our life at work. It should be something we believe in and have a passion for. It's okay if that passion changes. If you are thinking about pivoting out of education or know someone who is, visit our website at pivotingoutofedu.com for advice, testimonials, and blog articles. Have advice to share or would like a private consultation? Contact Jamie or Tom via the website or at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com.